What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. This is the last episode we're going to do for 2019, John. What's up? Excited, man. Excited for 2020. It's, uh, I was just, my wife and I were just, we're so busy with the new baby and everything with all of that. Like, we're just like, wow, Christmas is like already here. Then I was like, you realize like another decade is ending too as mm-hmm. well. And then like, it just kind of, we kind of like, oh, damn, you know, like blew our minds. So, uh, just being busy has been good because, you know, time moves and, but like at the same time, it's like, you guys take a step back and take a breath and go, wow, a lot of stuff's happening right now, coming up right now. Yeah, absolutely. So just to just give people uh, an idea of what's going on. So this show is up early. Um, we wanted to get it out before actual Christmas Day. So it is out a couple of days early. Thankfully for us, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Like there's no Wednesday night wrestling shows to, you know, competing wrestling shows as we've seen. Um, you know, and from a news perspective, you know, there was some uh, MMA over the weekend. If, if you know, if you watch the Busan show for UFC, you saw Korean Zombie knock out Frankie Edgar in a really uh, a cool fight for, for that that crowd in that market. And Bellator had an unfortunate situation where Josh Barnett was too ill to fight. So that main event didn't happen. Probably going to happen next month in January. And, uh, you know, you got Alima Leigh. Uh, defending her title in front of her home, so that was pretty cool. But you know, I think there was uh, there was some New Japan shows as well. But you know, we're in the road to the Tokyo Dome, so these are just kind of you know in place to to uh, to you know to get people's appetites ready for Tokyo Dome. So not a whole lot going on. So it was actually great because we could record this early and get it up before Christmas, which was uh, which was cool. And and the other thing that it allowed us to do is. Um, so this is out Tuesday on Christmas Eve, and on Friday, it's either going to be Thursday or Friday. I'm not 100% sure yet. We're going to put up the last We Want Flair that we did together, solo uh, episodes, and it's really good. I was listening back to it just because I was just trying to remember everything about the Ric Flair versus Big Van Vader match. We didn't only just talk about that match. We went from the 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 end of flair in wwe in 93 remember he has that match with mr perfect and then he comes to wcw they don't use him right away he's doing the flair for the gold segments and then you know it's uh uh, anderson and flair against pillman and austin and you know really the the story they're telling is that flair and arn anderson are old like that's really what the story is and then you know it's going to be sid vicious and big van vader vicious screws it up with the with the scissors fight with arn and so he's out of that main event and it's back to flair and flair you know in his hometown puts his career on the line against vader at starcade and that's that's the match we're uh, we're, we're talking about so you know that whole time period is fascinating uh just from the end of his wwe or wwf days to to going back to wcw and just the turmoil that's kind of happening there it's actually a really nice pre uh, it's a really nice episode to sort of tell the story of uh, of the way that we want to tell the future ones which is you know the first one is the flair and fujinami match uh in in the tokyo dome and that really starts with dusty Rhodes coming back from wwf to take over the booking regime at wcw and really that feud between dusty and rick which is really more about sort of 
ego and pride and who's more important and all that, that starts to sabotage the Ric Flair's run there. And it's really interesting to look back at that period just to sort of see what caused Rick to leave WCW. Now, it's not only Dusty's fault, right? Like there's there's a bunch of little things that are happening at the same time for Flair to decide that you know he he's you know he doesn't want to be there. You know they want to cut his contract a year, they want him to drop the belt, and he wants some you know security on on his end that they're going to take care of him, and it's just it's just a mess. And then and then he gets fired. So we're going to tell that whole story starting next week in the very first episode of the year we'll we'll sort of lay the groundwork for that and we'll do that you know these stories are going to be told over four weeks so i i have sort of the criteria and the script of how i want to do it week one will probably be here are the players here's why they're important and then week two will be much more about laying the the groundwork for for the match and then week three we'll talk about the match and then week four we'll talk about sort of what happens after and and what you know what is sort of the the end end of it all and and so that'll be a nice little a nice little thing that we're going to try to do look i have no idea if this is going to work <laughs> I, it's fun it sounds like a lot of fun to me because i love digging into the old history of things and i love breaking it down but um i hope it's i hope it's entertaining i hope people will uh will decide that you know they they want to listen to it and you know what i'm also planning on doing though no promises here is uh after we do the four segments for uh, for the four episodes, I want to kind of grab all of them and put them into one show. So if you didn't listen to it in the four shows and you're sort of a newcomer to the show, you can you can listen to to the the show uh, like four of the of the segments put together as in one big show. So that's kind of what uh, what we're going to be doing early next year. But um, you know, we still have one more show left and. Before we get to it, so uh, I inter- I uh, talked to Duan earlier today, and we're going we're going to um, send it to that interview that I did. He wanted to talk about the ten fights that need to be made in boxing in 2020. So he did a lot of research. Uh, he put together um, some really good fights. He was playing matchmaker and booker, looking at business, looking at you know guys and where they need to be, and that was really cool. And uh, so you'll hear that first, and then John and I will come back to uh, to talk about the the last two Raws of 1993. WWF is kind of going out with a whimper here uh, after they Raw started so strong. Um, but before we get all t- get to all that, um, just wanted to give you John the opportunity just to you know what are you guys what are you and the family doing for Christmas? How, how how's uh, how's that going to work? You know I know family's really big and uh, and and but you know what what what's the plans for the big for the big day tomorrow? Uh, big day tomorrow, Christmas Eve at my in laws. Uh, Christmas Day would also be at my in laws. Um, it's going to be actually a smaller group this time around. But then um, my parents live, you know, about three hours away, so they're actually going to come down like probably after New Year's time. We'll do like a second Christmas. Kind of makes things a little easier for us. So um, right now with the new baby, we don't want to go up and travel anywhere. We're just going to stay close to home. So um, looking forward to it. Uh, wife just wrapped all the presents tonight. Um, there's a, you know, good amount of gifts and, and you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. We had a little pre pre Christmas with, uh, her grandparents bringing some presents over and the kids just dived right into it, started tearing up. Well, Chloe, mostly Hunter was just happy to just, uh, 
you know grab paper and run around with it <laughs> he's only 19 months so uh, but uh, they got some really cool gifts from their grandparents uh, great-grandparents so uh, yeah it's um it, it's been a lot of fun and exciting and i'm cooking a breakfast meal on christmas day for my in-laws and my and my uh my sister-in-law so yeah i got some fun stuff planned how would you well before before uh, i say what i was gonna say um what is the big gift for Chloe? Because she is now old enough to where like, this is really a big deal. Like multiple dolls. Like the ones <laughs> <laughs> I got dolls coming out of my ears, man. And her already, she has enough babies to start her own nursery or something. But, um, uh, she has this, this crying doll she wanted. Um, she has a stroller that's coming. She has, um, it's just a couple things on the on at, you know the commercials. She's like, I want that. I want that. I want you know every commercial she wants. But uh, we didn't get her everything. But uh, yeah, a lot of it's dolls and stuff. So she's uh, gonna be excited. And she's got like a a wooden um, baby uh, rocker or something like that today too from her grandparents. So she's in baby heaven right now. Even though she has a real baby at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but we got That's a couple the biggest of, Christmas present. Yeah. And then my son, we just got him some some boy stuff, of course. I got him some Supermans and Batmans and um, some Star Wars stuff and uh, and some Toy Story stuff. So he, he you know, he doesn't really understand it yet, but he'll be excited to see it. Honestly, Chloe will probably take it all and start playing with it anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, they'll be fighting over it, which will be fun <laughs> to hear, but yeah yeah but nothing nothing major nothing major it's all a bunch of little stuff that's gonna add up so which which i always liked too as a kid i never like wanted something big i always wanted like a little bit of this a little bit of that i was happy to just get action figures honestly like my thing was like star wars gi joe like just give me one of those guys like just grab it you know and and that's what i was i used to have tons of those back when i was a kid i wish i still had them too i can remember getting the big giant wwf figures those big rubber ones Mm -hmm. i can remember the uh for for christmas i got the ring and i got like a box of like i want to say it was like four guys it was like hogan andre mr wonderful and like piper or something like that so it was like maybe it's even more than four could have been you know maybe eight but that was like my gift was the ring and like all the guys and i remember you know because when you're a kid like you know if you want to get what you really want like you don't name drop a lot of stuff like you don't give your parents the opportunity to like choose the main things you like you give them like two or three Mm -hmm. because those are the things that you really want so i remember doing that and it was like uh, a couple days before christmas and uh, I was I was like falling asleep in the car because you know I'm only I don't know when my ten or something, and I'm kind of waking up a little hazy. We just got home, and I noticed that my mom has like this bag in uh, in in the front seat, and yeah, I didn't really know what it was, and but except the bag kind of slipped, and I saw a WWF logo on it, <laughs> so I was like, okay probably something relating to these wrestling but obviously i didn't know like the whole thing all those guys but like that that was like i that's a that's a gift that i completely remember that's wrestling related as well i think i want to say the year before i got the like hogan workout set did you ever see those i've like, when seen you it little? i've seen it but i never uh I never had it personally, but yeah, I've seen. Um, it's funny that that act retro that retro uh, picture has gone around last like mm-hmm. year or two with that of that game. The like you know you would I think it came with um, 
So it came with a tape, and the, the tape played Hulk's theme. So it wasn't real American. It was just that dun 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 Hulk. Like that was the theme. And then it came with, I want to say it came with like two small dumbbells and um, jump rope, right? Or something. Yeah, something like that. But yeah. It was like it was the workout set, and then I also got the uh, the wrestling album as well, which I still have today. I still have the original copy of the wrestling album. It's sitting over here with the rest of my vinyl. The only thing my parents got me wrestling related for Christmas was the WrestleMania board game. With the, uh, you remember the board game had like the mm-hmm. tape and they had like a, a oh, yeah. the matches. Oh, yeah. And so basically, I've never played the game. I just literally watched that VHS. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but after that, actually, actually, that was original. And then after that, you, you know what I wanted from my main gift from 1989 to 1993 was for Christmas? 1989 to 1993. Yep. Uh, Pay per view? Yes, yeah, Starcade. That was my <laughs> number one on the list. Order Starcade was my wow. Christmas gift. And my parents made out. That's all we got 20 bucks back then. <laughs> so well, a, a couple of those years, Starcade was really close to Christmas, right? Yeah, it would be close. Or I think, I think. Future Shock, which is '89, was like on the 13th on like a Wednesday or something like that. I just remember that. And uh, but yeah, I always wanted Star Kid. That was like my main, the main thing. Everything else, I couldn't care less. I just wanted to watch wrestling. I I I got the same stuff for my kids when they were in. You know, they were only into it until they were like, you know, six, seven, eight around that time. And then by the time they were nine, they were kind of done with it. But you know, just buying like tons of figures in the ring, like they must have had. No less than like 40 dudes with, you know, with the ring and all that stuff. So I did pass that on to them and they got a kick out of that for a few years. And they I forgot their mom had I forgot what she did with them. She sold them or she gave them away or something. But, um, you know, just the, the, the whole the commercialization, you know, of wrestling to uh, for it really started like with our generation. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's when Vince decided that he could actually monetize you know whether it's you know shirts or toys um magazine or whatever like that like it was really our generation that was the first one and then you know pass it on and you know you go to a toy store today and you know wwe always has their own section of of stuff like i saw a um i saw ronda rousey figure where literally she's got like three faces like you have like mean yeah. face ronda yeah and you have like nice face ronda then smiling ronda like the, the figures have uh, have gotten pretty uh, you know pretty crazy like that i have a box full of like figures somewhere one of the places that someone has it and what's gonna be interesting when my kids see those when they get older and they're going to mm-hmm. opening it up now, Tom Cast would be totally for this. He's like, you got to let him breathe. That's like his thing. You got to <laughs> let the toys breathe. Tom, Tom he's my, uh, he's my, uh, my go-to for toy collecting. He's like, you know, he's the man with that right now. So uh, Tom found some old uh, old Star Wars figures. Yeah, there's like, like this. The mid-80s. There's like this cool like place next to the PC or like a few miles from the PC that he goes to and a lot of retro stuff. He got this old school He-Man. Uh, no, no, no. Mr. T. Remember? No, Mr. T figure. He oh, like yeah. he FaceTimed me and showed me and he's like all excited about it. So that was pretty cool. And he got like a, a re-reese Star Wars figure and you know, so he's he's uh, he's amassing his collection and I think when he gets his new, his new place in a year or two or a year from now he's gonna uh, have a nice big cool 
awesome man cave with just Star Wars figures, which uh, well, I would like to have that one day, but you know, we'll see. Our, our buddy Chris uh, DiPatrio, I think I, I think I got his last name right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he and I did a show about figures a segment. It was like a 20, 30-minute segment on figures, gosh, uh, several months ago. But that's on the YouTube feed if you want to check that out. Uh, YouTube.com, Fight Game uh, Pod. Uh, it's there. Like he, he is the guy when it comes to figures. I mean, he works for a, a toy figure company. And he's the one that uh, did Jeff Cobb one, right? Too as well. I yeah. Yeah. He did. He did that. You know, he's got, he's, he's got tons of molds and, mm-hmm. you know, if you follow his, uh, his, uh, his, um, social media, Zach Malibu on Twitter, like he's, you know, he, he's really like, he's the most knowledgeable person mm-hmm. that I've ever met about that stuff. So he's a fun guy to talk about. Like if you want to, you know, Oh, I forgot that, you know, why was there two, hogan molds with those rubber guys and you know it's fun he's a good guy to talk about that stuff okay so um that will uh that will be the end of this first segment no ads again so we are ad free for the second week in a row as uh it's probably not going to happen too too many more times i know i'm gonna have to read a roman ad uh in, in the near future um but um but yeah, so that'll be the, the, the end of this segment. And right now, uh, I will uh, send us all to the conversation that I had with Duan about the boxing fights to make in 2020. All right, I want to welcome Duan to the show. Uh, Duan had an idea that he sent me an email about the uh, year of 2020 in boxing and what fights, in his opinion, need to be made. So we're going to talk about that. And then he's also going to be headed to Japan to see all the great shows uh, in, in Japan. And so, Duan, what's going on, man? Hey, Gigi, how are you? Um, it's good to kind of back on once again just to round out the year as you said you know uh, maybe a little bit of a preview for what's coming in the year ahead in boxing you know this year after what promised to be a real big shake up in boxing maybe for the first two thirds of it was a little bit underwhelming but you know since September it really feels like um, everything's fallen into place and we're starting to see see those big shows that we wanted to. so my idea for this was kind of maybe just how what matches we can make that will keep that momentum ticking over into 2020 and you know there will be big there's big matches that can be made you know in the sport that we're not going to talk about on this you know what I'm looking at is things we can really build around you know big fights that can build into even bigger fights you know we might see in 2020 we might see Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao fight a second time we might finally see Kel Brook and Amir Khan uh, match up but they're not the types of fights that I I really want to talk about on this show I want to talk more about you know things that are going to be at the forefront of, of, of the boxing world so I'm guessing no fights with Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in them. And uh, no. <laughs> Dude, uh, by the way, uh, I, I, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but I, I did want to get your thoughts. Like, nobody was surprised when he quit on the stool, right? Like, absolutely nobody was like, wow, I did not expect that to happen. Like, we expected hijinks for that fight, and he delivered. Yeah, and I don't know, it just feels like, this has to be the last chance for him, you know. There was the thing with the drug test, there was the missing weight, and then there was, you know, the quitting in, in the corner. And I think the maddening thing about it is, 
there looked like there was still something of a decent fighter in him in there. You know, he was competitive for those first few rounds, and maybe some of that was just that he was so much heavier than Jacobs that it 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 caused some some pro- it was causing some problems. You know, until Danny could wear him down a little bit, but you know. That that is the thing with Julio. I think there has there there has always been a decent fighter in there, but um, you know he he doesn't help himself. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know Freddie Roach has got to be at his. He's like, okay, I I've I've and fallen the, for this enough. This is this is it. The other thing is though, the fans have been so forgiving to him. I get like he's let them down so many times, and you know they came out and forced for him again. Yeah, it is. It is, is a huge crazy. gate, like. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, he he it just shows you like kind of what promotion was like, you know, 10, five, 10 years ago and how, you know, being in in, in that time frame and, and, and how boxing was promoted, it actually still does mean something. I, 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 absolutely. Well, you know, I think this has to be it for him. I think, you know, even Eddie Hearn was kind of after was like, I, I can't, can't use this guy again. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get to your list. I'm excited to hear the fights that uh, that you think or think should be made for 2020. And uh, I asked you to kind of do it in a way where, you know, we also include weight classes and sort of promoters and stuff so we can kind of look at this from like a realistic standpoint. Okay, so the first fight I'm going to pick on my list, or the first fighter I'm going to talk about is Canelo because he's the biggest star in boxing right now. And, you know... So much of what he does is going to influence everything else that happens in the sport. And that's the case at any time, but particularly now, because, you know, he's the biggest prize in three separate divisions, uh, three separate marquee divisions in the sport at the moment. And, um, you know, this is a match that if you asked me two months ago, I wasn't that keen on. And now I kind of feel like it's the only match that can be made. And that is the rubber match with Gennady Gennady Golovkin at middleweight. And the reason for that is, you know, if you look at who's kind of ruled out, you know, there's a lot of of people very qualified for to be Quinello's uh, next opponent, but there's not really anybody putting putting their hand up and saying it should be me right now uh, you know Canelo's ditched the belts to light heavyweight so if he was if he was going to fight there he wouldn't have done that so that kind of rules out a Baturbiev or Bival fight for the time being uh, some of the other leading contenders you look at you know Billy Joe Saunders uh, he's coming off of a very poor performance on uh, the, Lo- the Logan Paul, Paul undercard. <laughs> um, and Callum Smith just fair- barely scraped by against John Ryder. So those are two guys who were, you know, w- well in the running for a fight with Canelo. And I feel like, you know, they've, they've lost momentum. Demetrius Andrade has a fight on the uh, schedule for January 30th with uh, Luke Keeler, an Irish fighter. So... The only one that really makes sense to me at the moment is the Triple G fight. And, you know, the reason why it makes sense is, you know, it completes the tr- trilogy. Uh, you know, it's one the networks want. The, the zone has been big on this fight for day one. And, you know, more than anything, I think it gives us an opportunity to bank one big fight early in the year and, you know, give us time to build up build up to another one for for Canelo. 
And you are, so you're talking like Cinco de Mayo weekend. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, can we get like, I feel like if Golovkin just goes, hey, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to say that you were taking steroids. My bad. I don't, you know, this this was taken out of context or whatever. If he says that, does does Canelo kind of come off of his his uh, his throne there with, with just not wanting anything to do with this guy? Yeah, I think he's already started to come off his throne a little bit in that, like, you know, after his after the Kovalev fight, he he was more open to talking about Golovkin as a potential potential opponent again. I think you know, largely the public is going to see that the see it as the goals are moving a lot closer for Canelo. Um, you know, the first time they fought, fought I t- think a lot of people maybe saw Golovkin as a mild favorite. The second time, it was kind of an even money. And I think this time, uh, Canelo will be almost a prohibitive favorite in it. But at the same time, if there is one guy you think that Golovkin, that will drag that one big last performance out of Golovkin, this is it. And, you know, it's also a chance for Triple G to make, you know, one more really big payday before he decides to uh, exit stage left. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I agree. I, that's, I think that's probably outside of the heavyweights that sets the, uh, the you know, the biggest match in, in boxing, maybe even bigger than, than, uh, than, than some of the heavyweight fights. All right. What's number two? Okay. Number two kind of plays off of number one. And, you know, we talked about trying to make a new contenders for uh, Canelo. And what this is one that could happen at either super middleweight or middleweight. And that's, uh, Demetrius Andrade against Billy Joe Saunders. Billy Joe Saunders, so- so- both these guys actually are career middleweights. Billy Joe Saunders currently has the WBO super middleweight title and Demetrius Andrade has the WBO middleweight title. Now, why I think this is a good fight is because, firstly, it's easy to make. They're both matchroom fighters. Um, secondly, I think they're both really, go- really good high-level fighters, but they both have to—they both have this thing where they can blow hot or cold. I don't think either of them's the type of guy you're going to see string together three or four stunning performances to, like you know, demand a place at the table with Canelo. I think to get them to that position, you need them in a high-profile fight. And the way you do that is you match the two of them against each other. They're both guys who stylistically, you know, on their night can be an absolute pain in the neck to fight. Like, they're difficult guys to fight when they're on their game. So I think the way to do this is you match them up against each other. You know, if Saunders wins, it gives him a credible win. It puts him on a big stage. And, you know, he's a much much more feasible uh, as an opponent for Canelo. I think the same stands true for Andrade. And for both of them also, there's like, you know, just getting this win and raising their profile, there will be, if if the Canelo fight doesn't come, there will also be other fights out there. You know, you could look at, you know, if Saunders won, he could look at a fight with maybe with Callum Smith, a big fight, a big unification match, super middleweight for the UK. Andre could maybe look at a fight with Danny Jacobs. You know, Danny Jacobs is up at super middleweight now. And also Andre could look at a fight with Callum Smith as well. They're both... The other thing that's, you know, good about this is they're both kind of on that limit 
they're actually at the Canelo weight, I suppose you would call it, where they're they're kind of struggling between the super middleweight and middleweight limits. So if they were to fight Canelo, you know, whatever poundage they agreed to do it at, I don't think it would be a problem. Who would you favor in that match? I think... I think Andrade maybe just slightly, and I think he's a very difficult opponent for Canelo as well. Yeah, I think so too. And, and that's you know, it, it's it's the old adage of is he worth his his weight in in publicity based on the risk uh, of that. And fight. yeah, and I think I think t- to make it in any way feasible, he needs to have. You know, a, a high a high profile match. So that's that's why I'd put him in with with, with Saunders right now. You know that, that that's you know. Then you could look at towards the end of the year. But you know, if he if one of them comes out of that, whichever one of them comes out of that looking strong towards the end of the year, maybe you know, a Canelo match looks good. Maybe September. All right. What's the next one? Number three. Okay, this is one where I feel like we really need to strike while the iron's hot on, and it's a lightweight fight. And that would be Fasili Lomachenko against Teofimo Lopez. And I mean, and all things look to be headed in that direction, right? Like most people think that we are actually going to get that very soon. Yeah, and it's it's funny how things can change because, you know, Lopez uh, had a really rough night a while back against Nakatani um, where people kind of, is this guy overhyped? You know, is he is he not the goods? He comes off that incredible performance of, uh, against Richard Comey where he just blew Comey away. Comey, a real tough dude. And like, now people are going, looking at him and say, this guy could be could be a live dog even against Lomachenko. Um you know he's got a good support behind him. People, people believe in him. These are this will be the undisputed fight at the lightweight division. So you know it's it's a huge matchup, and they're both top ranked fighters. So it's one that can be made. And I also think you know, just that lightweight division is so loaded right now. This is going to be. There's like nothing else like this anywhere else in the sport. If you think about the guys out here, right? Teofimo Lopez is uh, 20, uh, 22 years old. You've got Devin Haney in that division with Matchroom, 21 years old. Ryan Garcia in that division, 21 years old. Um, you've got Javante Davis moving, moving up. He's fighting uh, Gamboa before the end of this year. That's another big star in this division. You've got a guy like Luke Campbell in there. Um, he's set to face Javier Fortuna for the WBC belt. There is so much talent in in that fight like or in that division I think there's going to be like and and it's, it's all there's so much young talent in there I think there's great great fights out there to be made like particularly you know even if even if if Teofimo Lopez comes up short against Lomachenko maybe Lomachenko moves up and then some of those guys start fighting for the fragments of, of, of the belt. Or, you know, may, 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 maybe Lomachenko ha- hangs around and, you know, he, he looks at the fight with Devin Haney or, or Ryan Garcia. There's so, there's so many options there. But I, I think this could be really be uh, the exciting division to watch in boxing. Yeah, the, I think it's a great fight to make. The, my worry, if I'm thinking about it from a business perspective, is what you said, which is that he's very young and he's still going through like things that 
uh, a young adult goes through, which is, you know, he got married and his family maybe is not 100% behind his decision to get married. And so there's a little bit of a strife going on, yet his father is so uh, is so involved in his in his career. And, and so there's there's a story there and that actually helps build up the fight. But I, I do have this feeling that it's a little too early for him. Yeah, it might it might be too early for him. With all of those th- three guys I mentioned, the three younger guys, uh, Haney, Garcia, and Lopez, I think maybe Haney is the one that's furthest along in his development. Um, I feel like Garcia and Lopez both still have a, a road to go. Yeah, absolutely. All right, number four. I like all three of these fights, by the way. I'm watching all three of them if they happen. Okay, uh, I'm going to go with a welterweight fight next because, you know, welterweight traditionally the last few years has been the money deficient in boxing. And the guy I'm going to talk about is Terence Crawford. Now, I'm not going to mince my words on this. What's happened with Terence Crawford in the last year to 18 months has been an absolute disgrace. He's been frozen out of the big fights by PBC Um and we're in a position now where I feel like Ter- Terence, not to say he's getting over the hill, but like in his last fight, he didn't look the best he's looked, you know. And I'm worried that you could get a situation wh- where you had with Golovkin, where the, when the big fights do come, they may become a fraction after his best. So I think he needs the big fights, and I think he needs them this in 2020. Um and what 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 are those big fights? They're 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 with uh, they're with Spence or Porter. Those are the two more matches out there for him. Spence has recently said he's, he, you know, he is healthy to come back. You know, he's and he, he even mentioned that he was l- looking at the options of fighting. You know, a Manny Pacquiao, uh, a Danny Garcia, or a Terence Crawford. And you know, obviously Crawford Spence is the big one. It might be more realistic in the interim while uh, Spence is recovering from his, his, his injuries maybe you look at Terence Crawford Sean Porter Porter pushed uh, Spence right to his limits you know that's a really good fight and you know should Crawford come through that then the, ne- the next fo- fighter on for the end of this year that could be you know the big fighter welterweight the one we want to see him, him and Spence What did you think about Spence uh, being on TV recently. Some people thought that he did not look great, but from what it sounds like, he says that you know his next fight, he's not he's not gonna take a take a fight that is uh, not a big fight, and it sounds like he really wants to get right back into the swing of things. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Uh, may, maybe he'll he'll look at something. Maybe he's looking at something like you know maybe a Pacquiao fight might be on the table. You know maybe that's something he he'll look at and like if that op- opportunity comes up, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to pounce at it while it's there. Um, I, I I don't know. I I do see him probably taking at least one kind of warm-up fight or is some, something of a tune-up fight before he throws himself in with, uh, you know, uh, Terence Crawford or D- Danny Garcia. Um, and it, does, other- it, it does sound like Porter and Crawford, at least it sounds like there may be interest there. At least uh, recently I've seen things where I think uh, Porter even may have tweeted something about how, you know, there's there's possibility of opening up, up negotiations with uh, Crawford there. 
And another option for Crawford, if he can't get a deal done with the PBC side, maybe one you that would be look at would be Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia now working with uh, Matchroom. Um, and Matchroom have been very strategic in their selection of Garcia. You know, it's that 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 signing has been very much about giving them a foothold in the welterweight division. It's like it's uh, you know personally, I'd rather see Garcia back down at junior welterweight or 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 even in in that that mix of lightweight that we talked about. But you know he seems to be have his heart set on fight, fighting a welterweight for the time being. And you know the reason why Matchroom are looking at him in that division is because it gives them options for to have uh, to offer people in that division, which they currently don't have you know they could make an offer to Terence Crawford and say you know will you fight fight Mikey Gar- Garcia now and you know if if a deal can't be done maybe that that will be that will be one that Crawford will use as a as a, me- a me- measuring stick given that you know Spence has just fought f- f- fought Garcia not that long ago and you know what's interesting about that is I think you know, a lot of people think that Garcia was actually the the main draw for that fight with Spence as far as uh, bringing people to uh, to watch that show. Uh, but the other thing is, let's say that it is Crawford and, and they are trying to work with DAZN. How do you even deal with that? Because obviously... Uh, ESPN Plus, uh, Bob Arum, you know, they would want that fight on pay-per-view. And with DAZN, it's it's a it's a subscription service. So that just just thinking about it in, in that way makes me think that it's going to be it would be really hard to do. Yeah, it, it, it could be that way. Like, you know, out of the three large groups, the ones who have worked together in the past are Matchroom and, and Top Rank. You know, maybe they can arrange a deal. And, you know... I don't know. I think it will come down to who holds the cards in that one. Um, maybe, maybe Crawford as the as the prestige fighter. You know, he gets his platform and they put it on pay per view. You know, that that would be where the more money would be would more than likely be. But at the same time, you know. The zone aren't going to want to give give that give that fight up easily either. I'm sure that I'm sure they're uh, you know emptying their pockets to get to to get Garcia for these one or one or two fights that they have him. Yeah, absolutely. All right, what's uh, number five? Okay, number five is in the junior welterweight division, and it features my fighter of the year and the guy who was in my fight of the year which is Josh Taylor um, the junior welterweight division is one of the divisions that got it right last year we saw two really good uh, unification bouts first um, uh, Jose Car- Carlos Ramirez uh, be- 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 beating Mar- Maurice Hooker for the WBC and WBO belts and then in the Super Series final we saw Taylor overcoming Regis Progress in as I said what was uh, my fight of the year in November the logical thing now would be to go for the, comp- the, comp- the complete unification uh, between Progress and, and Taylor Um it's a it's a really big fight and it's a re- really good fight. Uh, Ramirez has one bout penciled in with Victor Postal, uh, so that has to be uh, dealt with first. But there's no reason and there's no better option for either of these guys right now to, than to, to face each other. And I think also 
uh, the other interesting thing about this is there's so much talent both above and below uh, this division. You know, Aram actually talked about, and the reason why I'm feeding on from uh, the Terence Crawford fight into this one is, you know, he mentioned specifically that if he couldn't get a deal for Crawford to fight, you know, Spence or Porter, he was looking at the guys in the division below, and specifically uh, Jose Carlos Ramirez and Josh Taylor moving up. So their options. And then the division below, you have all those lightweight guys um, that we just talked about. You know, the Devin Haney's, the uh, Lomachenko's, Teofimo Lopez, Ryan Garcia, all those guys. So any of those guys moving up, you know, say Lomachenko unifies, decides to move up to junior welterweight, then you could have possibly the, the unified junior welterweight ch- champion whether that be uh, Taylor or Ramirez against Lomachenko right right no I think that makes a lot of sense um, okay number six okay number six uh, is a featherweight or super featherweight bout and that would be Gary Russell against Leo Santa Cruz now this fight has been talked about forever and I just kind of feel like now is the time to do it or you know it's just not going to happen. You've got new guys moving in in that division. You have, you know, Shakur Stevenson now uh, t- taking up uh, the, uh, a belt there, the WBO title. Michael Conlon moving into contention. You've got Josh Warrington and the IBF. There's going to be other options for these guys if they don't meet now. And then, you know, up at Super Featherweight, there's, uh, you know, you've got Oscar Valdez, Tevin Farmer. Uh, Javante Davis still, uh, and then who, who's you know the number one at the weight, Miguel Burchelt. Um So like I feel like there's just so many options for both of these guys right now. It would be a shame if they didn't get the fight on while it's still hot. Um, Russell has his hands full at the moment already. He's got a fight scheduled in February with uh, the Mongolian fighter Tug Niambiar. Niambiar's a really, really good fighter. Um, Silver medalist in the Olympics, silver medalist in the World Championships. If anything, maybe not got the pro experience like a lot of guys who've you know turned pro under the PBC banner he hasn't netted up that many fights he's only had 11 fights in whatever 5-6 years whereas you know you look at that compared to what kind of the matchroom guys are doing you know somebody like Nikita Bibe or Diego Pacheco have been pro a year and already had eight fights. You know, Niamber not just not busy and not busy enough. Maybe doesn't have the experience, but he's still a tough proposition for Russell to get through. And if Russell does get through that fight, uh, you know, I'd like to see him go into the fight with Leo Santa Cruz. What's been the holdup over the years? don't know it, 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 it just doesn't seem to be the willingness to make it and you know we kind of have the usual situation of passing blame back and forth they're both PBC fighters there's no real reason why it shouldn't happen uh, you know Leo Santa Cruz recently has said that you know he wants the big fights this year and the big fights he mentioned were uh, Gary Russell and Gervonta Davis so we'll see if you know a deal can get done, get, get done this year all right, what is the next one? I think this is number seven. Okay, number seven is a super middleweight fight. 
and it's Callum Smith against David Benavides. And, you know, this is another one, like, we talked about at the start with, you know, Smith having a recent disappointing performance. Um, you know, Smith is one of the guys I thought he was very much in the conversation for the Canelo, for the next Canelo fight, you know, coming off the Super Series, uh, being the consensus number one in the Super Middleweight division. He was very lucky uh, in his recent title defense against um, John Ryder. John Ryder, a, a good European fi- level fighter, but you know, it's never really shown himself to be above that level. Smith, lucky to get his decision there. I think he hurt himself in terms of his marketability for uh, for a Canelo fight with that performance. And I think you know, to get it back, he needs a big win. Uh, the, the obvious one to put him in with is Benavides. You know, Benavides, a, 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 another young star, a champion, another champion in the division, and you know, it would be it would be a big unification bout, and it would kind of create again a little bit of a little bit of pressure on Canelo to fight whoever came out of that. You know, the top guy at super middleweight. If that was where Canelo decided to make his home. The winner of that fight really would be uh, the, the, the logical person for him to fight. Um, and, you know, again, it, it, this is another division where, the, the, if not Canelo, there's, there's, there's other options for either guys coming out of that. You know, for Canelo, or, uh, you'd have like Billy Joe Saunders. There's um, the other champion, Caleb Plant at super middleweight. Danny, Danny Jacobs now up there at super middleweight. So, um, and both of those guys, both Benavides and Smith, are really realistically growing out of that division so you know if they really wanted to test the water they could they could step up and you know uh, move into the light heavyweight division as well so options there you know i think it's time i think you know it's time for one of those two guys to make a splash and you know start making some some noise you know trying to get those those big fights that are out there for them yeah no i mean you know and obviously a lot of this is who's going to be uh, up for a future Canelo fight. And, you know, big picture, that is uh, a huge deal for a lot of these guys who are, you know, trying to make their names and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the next fight in this is, you know, one, again, we mentioned the two fighters we mentioned at the start. You know, I'm going, I'm going to take the light heavyweight division now. And, you know, this is a division that, you know, a year, 18 months ago, I had was kind of mentioned to you that this is where I think a lot of the action is going to be. And that has been the case. But I think accidentally, you know, Canelo has actually cast a shadow over, you know, some of the other guys that were doing good work in this division. You know, we did have what I felt was probably you know skill set for skill set the best bout in the sport last year in October between uh, Baturbiev and Fosdick and what happened but like you know the next month you had a much much bigger fight with Canelo mm-hmm. against you know Kovalev who's been the, the division's leading star for the longest of times you know it's a much higher profile bout and you know Canelo wins that fight you've got Kovalev 
pretty much out of the picture and the, the long time flag bearer for the division pretty much out of the picture and Canelo's dropping the titles so that does cast something of a shadow over the division and you know I think to you know to close off that gap I think you need a big fight and the one you go with is you know the two toughest guys that are out there that's uh, better be and uh, Bavall. Uh, but b- b- both both Russian fighters, so you would think there'd be a big interest in that in that from that community in particular, and you know it's also just a really really high level fight. You know, before you've got a very polished performance, doesn't always doesn't always look the most impressive, but always uh, just gives people nightmares Baturvia have much more much more of a wrecking ball like a real uh, brutal fighter and you know I think th- he's done a huge uh, job to raise his profile over the la- last year you know I'd look at those two guys you know the winner of that fight you'd look at as definitely the consensus number one in a light heavyweight and again it would put pressure on Canelo when he does, or if he does decide, you know, he wants to make light heavyweight his home. That would be the guy who, like, people would be looking at, at for him to fight. Um, and for each of those guys, also, you know, there are the other options I mentioned. You know, there, the Smith and Benavides both could both move up. Um, there's Gilberto Ramirez there, the Mexican fighter. He's 40 and 0. Fosdick, you know, he's, he lost a bit better BF, but, you know, he's another real, real top level prospect. And then there's also Joshua Boatzi, the, uh, the, the for, former British Olympian, uh, who's, I would say, is one of the best, best prospects in the sport. So there's a lot of life in that division still, with or without Canelo. And, you know, I think. I think the the situation you need to create is where there is a clear number one there for the other guys to chase. Who would you even favor in that fight? You know, I think I'd favor Baval, and that's probably the the less marketable option of the two because Baval does, as I said, he doesn't always look great, but I think he's a difficult guy to beat. Yeah, that's a tough one uh, because their styles are so different. So it would it would be one, you know, minimizing the other's style in order in order to win. Yeah, and 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 like you know, to be fair, I kind of thought that's that would be the it would like the scenario was very similar in the better better be a Fosdick fight, and I was expecting Fosdick to win out big in that, and better be was the much better much much better fighter. Yeah. And I mean, at some point when you get hit with so many bombs, you're just like, this is, you know, you, I got to I got to live to fight another day. Yeah. And I think but better be if it's kind of a little bit like what Kovalev was in his prime, where he really doesn't need to load up on those shots at all. Like everything he, he throws just has so much weight behind it. You can you can see from his jabs, whatever whatever shots he lands, it affects people and it takes something it takes something off that energy bar. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, we are at number nine. Okay, this is the first fight on my list that's not a title fight. And it's at heavyweight. And it's kind of fitting it it's at heavyweight because you know, after a long time out of the spotlight, 
I think the big guys are where the interest is. Again, you know, we had that era during the uh, that period during the Klitschko era where, you know, anybody would come along. People were just clinging to like, you know, is this guy to bring? Is this the guy to bring back the heavyweight division? The heavyweight division is now back in a big way. Um, you know, we could have a separate list for this year for just like the 10 best heavyweight fights. Maybe I'll do that in our group. Um, I'll do, do that in the comment sections in our, in, in our group uh, as a little separate item. But, um, like, because it's not just the Fury and Joshua and Wilder and, you know, all these other guys that are random, you know, Dillian White, Alexander Usyk, Michael Hunter, Derek Chisora, Joe Parker, Alexander Profetkin, Kubert Pulev, Andy Ruiz, all these guys. There's a, there's a new crop coming through as well. You know, Philip Pergovic, Tony Yoka, Ivan uh, Ditchko, and the two guys I'm going to talk about now, which are Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois. Now, these are two of the best heavyweight prospects out there. Uh, both UK prospects, Joe Joyce, um, a silver medalist from the last uh, uh, last Olympics. He's ten and 0, 9 KOs. Um, Daniel Dubois, fourteen and 0, 13 knockouts. Uh, he, and the thing about Dubois is he's only twenty two years old. He's one of the youngest heavyweights to really make a breakthrough to this level in a really long time. And these two guys were, were, you know, mandated to fight for the British title earlier in the year. They agreed a deal to delay that fight for the time being. But it does look like sooner or later it is going to happen. And when it does happen, it's a really, really good fight. Um, Joe Joyce has about scheduled at the moment against Marco Hook, the longtime cruiserweight champion, uh, at... Um, for, uh, for the European title, but once he's through that, you know, I I think both these guys are keen to make make this match, and you know, you know, it particularly like Joyce has been fighting guys in a, in and around like guys who've been in and around title contention. His last three wins, you know, Stefan Alexander Yusinov, Brian Jennings, guys who have have had big fights in the division so like you know what these are you know two guys that all they need is one big win to move them into that conversation with and you know move them towards those fights with the joshuas and the wilders and the furies so i'm looking at this as you know now is the time to make this fight. You know, at another era, you'd probably, like, you know, as I said before, you'd be waiting, like, if you had one of these prospects, you'd be waiting to just usher them into the, into a title match before you took any risks with them. The good thing about the heavyweight division now is, you know, even the guy who loses this one can come back in a big money fight because there's so many guys at the different levels out there now that, you know, can command a crowd. Like, you could have... Say Joyce was to lose, you could do Joyce against Derek Chisora or do- Joyce against Dillian White. You know, if Dubois was to win, you could do Dubois against Joshua, Dubois against Fury. So, you know, this, like, you know, this is just another option to keep the good times rolling at heavyweight. You just want to keep creating new challengers and, you know, creating that, creating that supply of challengers for the top guys because there's, there's so much lifeblood in the division right now. 
All right. And the top one is probably to nobody's surprise, but does sort of uh, connect with uh, your previous one. Absolutely. It's the undisputed heavyweight tile fight. Um, It's Anthony Joshua against either Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. Fury and Wilder is scheduled for 20, February the 22nd. We've nearly lost this fight once. We, it's, you know, it's the responsibility of everyone not to lose it a second time. Uh, whoever comes through that fight on the 22nd, you know, we need to have the biggest fight in boxing. We need the heavyweight unification fight. We may have, in the interim, Joshua may need to take um, a mandatory defense. He has two mandatories. You know that have both been uh, are both being pushed at the moment. Did WBO against Usyk and it's IBF against Pulev? If I was to bet, I'd say the Pulev one will go first because you know Pulev is with Top Rank. It's a rival promoter. He has nothing to gain really by stepping aside, and I think he's going to make himself a, a, a difficult in that. You know, Joshua may just have to fight him to not lose that title. Uh, Usyk, on the other hand, I think you know they're in the same camp. There's every reason why Usyk would want to hold that fight off as well. He's only had one fight at heavyweight. You know, he probably wants to get another fight under his belt against a real contender, to, uh, so he's more ready for it. And also, the fight for him would be worth so much more money if he's fighting the unified champion at the end of it. So I think, you know, what we'll likely see is Pulev Joshua. We'll see Fury Wilder, and hopefully we'll see the the the, the, the two winners fight for all the mar- marbles before the end of next year. Which fight do you think would actually be easier to make? I'm guessing the one with Fury is probably going to be easier to make than Joshua Wilder. Well, Fury and Joshua are playing nice at the moment. Um, Joshua said just last week. Um, he said in an interview that I hope Fury beats Wilder because I think Fury will fight me sooner than Wilder will. And, you know, I'm willing to go over and spar with him to help him prepare for that fight if he needs it. And Fury responded on, you know, I don't know, one of the social media channels, whether it was Instagram or uh, Twitter or Facebook or whatever it was, and basically said, look, he'd love to have Joshua in camp and he would definitely give him a fight sooner than Deontay Wilder would so you know I like you know Hearn has said said before he thinks that like the Wilder or the Joshua Fury fight happens regardless whether at, at some point you know Fury will take that fight and he'll want the fight and Joshua will want that fight you know he said he's not 100% he, he still says he's not 100% sure on whether the Wilder Joshua fight if fight can be made he has talked about in recently in in recent that you know the number is 50 50 to get it made you know he's he's willing to offer a level playing field you know will will wilder's side take that at this point you know there is going to have to be a deal hammered out between the broadcasters there's a lot to get done but you know this fight is too big to let slip out of our hands and it's too big to you know let go calls like you know a, May- mm-hmm. a, May- a Mayweather Pacquiao that you know do you have to wait three four five years till one of the guys is over the hill you know now is the time to make this and I think it would be a real shame if we don't see this in 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 2020 
What do you think about Fury uh, changing trainers all of a sudden? I find it odd. Um, you know, just because I th- him and Ben Davison had such a good personal relationship and I think that's what Fury really needed to get himself back believing in himself and I think that was a huge part of his comeback and he you know I'm just finished reading Fury's uh, book this week actually and you know he kind of says as much in that but there's also kind of a very interesting aspect of the book where he's talking about his time uh training in the Kronk and how much he admired what he learned there and how much he he carried it with him you know and I don't know like is the Kronk the same Kronk without Emmanuel Stewart you know what I mean Um, is this another another risky change like it's such a a big big fight coming up you know it's, it's hard to kind of question Fury on this because last time, you know, he left a very successful relationship with, uh, you know, his uncle Peter Fury, which had, you know, won him the heavyweight championship of the world. Uh, he moved into, he moved into, uh, moved on to training with Ben Davidson, who pretty much nobody in in the boxing scene really knew much about. And they put together a tremendous uh, game plan to... At least draw Wilder, if if not, uh, deserve deserve to beat him. So you know, you 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 just don't know what Fury. Yeah, uh, I would. I think I would have preferred stability in the camp. Yeah, uh, I I don't I don't know what's gained by switching up. But maybe there's you know there's technical aspects he feels that you know. He 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 can learn from that crown camp that uh you know that Ben can't bring. Hmm. Um, all right, so let's quickly before before we get you out of here. Uh, I just want to hear about your trip to Japan because I know that this is uh, something you've never done before. So you are headed to Japan in a little bit less than a week, uh, and you are going to see uh, the Ryzen show and then both New Japan Tokyo Dome shows. Yeah, so I'm heading over on the 29th. I'll be arriving on the 30th. I, it'll be. Straight on to Ryzen in the Saitama Super Arena on on New Year's Eve. And then we've got New Japan, the two days of Wrestle Kingdom on the 4th to 5th, and New Year's Dash on the 6th. And then I'm back home after that. You know, there's a whole host of other shows between, you know, NOAA and All Japan and DDT and all these other groups, Zero One and all these other groups, uh, which I don't know how many of those I'll get in. I'll try get a couple more in. I also want to, you know, have a bit of a holiday while I'm over there at the same time. But uh, you know, it's, it's it's something I've been really looking forward to for a, a long time. You know, I've been such a big fan of those New Year's Eve MMA shows in Japan. You know, kind of from the era back from the era when I first got into MMA, like the the, the late pride early dream stuff is kind of some of my favorite stuff and you know that i can think the spirit of that's kind of uh, carried on in rising and just new japan has really been you, you know my favorite thing in wrestling over the last few years with uh, and the to- those Tokyo Dome shows have just become have become bigger and better every year. You know, this time with it stretched over two nights. You know, some absolutely huge matches there. You know that you're just expecting to deliver really, really. Obviously, 
uh, um, Okada and Ibushi's the big one, but you've also got her Hir- Romo and Osprey, um, and so 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 many so many other great matches that will open down the card. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Uh, it's going to be an amazing trip. But I know also you're a, you're a big culture guy. You like music. You like you know to to really sort of dig into the culture of what's going on. Do you have any non wrestling MMA plans? Uh, and if so, what are those? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I, I, I'm planning and you know checking out music. I'm going to go to Shinjuku, checking out the record stores, checking out the jazz bars. You know, going to the Japanese Film Institute, doing some of those things. You know, I've been learning Japanese myself for uh, the last 15 months. Um, I just took the N5 exam there in December, which is the first level fluency test in Japanese. So, you know, I'm looking forward to that aspect of the trip as well. You know, doing some some of the more cultural things, too. That, that's awesome that you did that. It's like uh, John Cena trying to learn Chinese so that he's uh, uh, a little bit better in, in that market. That's that's pretty cool. Um, well, I want to thank you for coming on, uh, you know, for our last sort of uh, fight game podcast show of the year. Uh, we're we're going to do another uh, episode of, of, of We Want Flair the Old, and we're going to put that up as sort of the last last show. But as far as, you know, the, this uh, this show, it is it is the last one of the year. And I really appreciate you coming on and you know uh you had mentioned uh, when you get back from from japan uh, we'll try to we'll try to get back together again and just talk about the experience yeah absolutely I, you know I, i'm sure there's going to be a huge event to talk about out of those new japan shows coming out of those new japan shows and you know it'll also be uh, good just to get back on to, 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 to talk about the, the year ahead awesome all right doing thanks again and uh, have a great trip All right, it's time to talk about the last two episodes of Raw from 1993, December 20th and December 27th. John, before we get into this, what do you think about uh, the first year of Raw overall? Like your thoughts? You've already seen these two episodes, but you know, when when we when we started Raw earlier this year, I think it was the second week of January, we started reviewing these as that's when it started in 1983. It was the second week of January. Um, it's sort of been an up and down show, and, and you know, in the summertime we were talking about how hot it was, and then it kind of fizzled out around Survivor Series, and they're like mailing it in at this point. Like they're 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 not really setting too many things up in the ring, though they're setting up angles for the Royal Rumble, uh, which is in uh, in in a few weeks from uh, from this viewing of December twenty seventh, the last the last uh, show of the year. But overall, like, what what'd you think about like going back and watching these shows all? over again uh, it was a lot of fun i i, I enjoyed it and um kind of bummed i'm not gonna watch 1994 because i know there's some cool stuff coming up with that but i kind of feel like that's gonna be my show to just throw on in the background just yeah, as i yeah. you know as i'm doing other stuff but um you know like it started off really hot a lot of fun stuff a lot of big angles and uh the talent was 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 good and summertime got really hot really creative and then you know i think you know coincided with like vince's troubles with the uh, the steroid case and all that kind of stuff and the company cutting back on some money stuff you could tell the talent dropped a little bit too and uh then it got kind of unbalanced so we're kind of petering off in uh and uh the end of the year here so uh, but you know these shows were 
overall pretty solid i thought you know what we're gonna review today all right so december 20th raw vince calls it the holiday edition it is obviously five days before christmas um and who is his co-host I was hoping that it was going to be Jim Cornette again because I really enjoyed uh, Cornette from the last show. Instead, it is none other than the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels, who is really bad. Like he really, really bad on commentary. He had a couple of like pop culture references that, to show that you know he's sort of young-ish and he's keeping up with stuff. But man, as a as an announcer, he was not good. Um, he also. I, I mean, I was wondering if, like, he was drunk or something, because especially in the beginning, he's, like, slurring his words a little bit, and I'm like, I wonder if he's nervous, or has he been drinking? Like, what's going on? I can't imagine that, knowing he's going to be doing a show with Bot next, right next to the boss man, that he would be anything other than his best behavior, but who knows? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he was that bad, but um, he wasn't, you know, he's definitely not natural doing color commentary, but I thought he did a good job um, still putting over talent over um, instead of just being 100% heal, everything on me, you know, the whole, which would have got annoying for a whole hour. But like, you know, he talked positive about Jeff Jarrett and other the heels and stuff like that. And, you know, even some of the Bay faces, he pointed out some of the strengths. So I thought he did, I thought he did an okay job. I, I wasn't, it wasn't as bad um, as, uh, as I thought it was going to be, but you could tell like at first he was you know, a little uncomfortable, but I think he got his groove towards the, towards the, how's the show went on. So Jeff Jarrett faces PJ Walker, heartbreak kid, uh, makes a joke about Latoya and Michael Jackson. So you can tell the, the datedness of this show, <laughs> 1993. Um, so Vince, uh, uses this time to talk about Lex Luger being out of the Royal rumble based on what Cornette had said in, in the prior week, which was that part of the stipulation of his match at SummerSlam was that if he didn't win, he would not get another title shot. And so um, Double J wins here with a DDT. And then after the match, they do this 900 number gimmick for Lex Luger for fans to vote, to pay their 99 cents to vote whether or not Lex should be allowed to be in the Royal Rumble, which is like the dumbest thing because he's the top, you know, a, a top babyface or he's 1A, 1B uh, next to Bret Hart. Uh, and it's just like, okay, like what, what, de- what decade are we in with wrestling to where fans are this dumb to vote for stuff? I mean, basically what they're doing is they're preying on kids, essentially, you know, to, 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 to do this. Um, but overall, what'd you think about Double J's debut on Raw? Uh, it was an okay match. He worked PJ Walker, but there's like a moment where he did like, the fake out and he did the Fargo strut and then for some reason PJ Walker had to look like a goofball and like turn us back completely to Jeff Jarrett and Jeff Jarrett just attacks him um I thought that was just silly I don't know why you make anyone look like an idiot like that but um I thought it was okay I thought it was good you know I always liked Jeff Jarrett I always was a fan of his and I remember being really excited for him coming to WWF because I was such a big follower of USWA and his career and uh, his finisher was kind of weak the jumping DDT just because PJ Walker also jumped into it, so it just like that's just 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 look just look weird to me. But um, you know, other than that, he looked good, and I see the drop kick and the fist drop and all his uh, his spots. But I just didn't I thought that was weird how he they did a thing where PJ Walker decides to turn his back completely to Jeff Jarrett and he jumped him, which he should always do in a wrestling match. <laughs> it was trained at APW. It was funny if you turned your back 
on an APW wrestler, they would jump you. Like, so you should always keep your back, you know, looking towards your opponent. Because if you don't, you should get your ass kicked. You know, so that's pretty. pretty. You know, here, here's here's the thing that that I was thinking when I watched the uh, Shayna. Uh, it was actually Shayna Candice Michelle hmm. at Candice um, Michelle Shayna Candice LeRae. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, holy shit, Candice Michelle would have been an entirely different match. Yeah, uh, at the NXT show. So there, there is a moment where. Um, I forget what Candice LeRae does with her hair, but you know, but you know how like Bailey does the thing with her ponytail, which mm-hmm. means like you know it means business now. Candice did something similar with her hair, and I just watched Shayna stand there, you know, because she's got to build up to that or whatever. But I thought like you know, if if this was an MMA fight and someone like messed with their hair, Shayna would have been like all over them, you know, to, get, it, to get that little window. Was it like her baby face fire up or something like that? Is that what it was? I don't I don't exactly remember. I don't even remember uh, the thing. I just remember thinking like. Okay, in a fight, Candice LeRae, in order to, you know, to do this thing to the crowd, to let the crowd know that, you know, she's about to make her comeback or she's, you know, she means business. There was like a three second thing to where if it was a real fight, Shayna would have been like all over her by the time she got her hands back to defend herself. And it's just it's sort of it's not exactly what you're talking about to turn your back is much different. But I just thought, you know, this is total like pro wrestling thing where I'm sure Shayna's instincts would have been like, oh, I got to attack. I got to attack. But no, you know, you're in WWE and you're in NXT and you got to, you know, this is for the crowd to let the crowd know that the baby face is about to do something. If it's like the baby face fire up, I'm okay with it. It's just a blatant turn your back to your opponent and you know like right in the beginning of the match a lot, a lot of indie guys do this they you know they just they start draw jacking with the crowd or something like that and the, and the guy just stands there and apw like i said one of the trainings was like if someone did that to you in the match like go ahead and take them because you know the, you, uh, in, a, in a fight quote unquote you're not turning your back to your opponent yeah yeah totally uh, okay, so men on a mission against Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. Uh, that you know that big splash, the big splash from the middle rope uh, wins the match here. But uh, HBK doing another pop culture reference here from a movie that had come out the year before, where he goes, "See ya, wouldn't want to be ya." From none other than White Men Can't Jump. Yeah, well, he can't be. A, you know, he's on the road. It's hard for guys to get catching movies. You know, wrestlers. So he's he's a year behind with his film watching. Yeah, but still, it's still cool. I mean, it, the the idea was like you know we have Bobby Heenan who uses all these references mm-hmm. from like the fifties and sixties, and Jim Cornette similarly, and now we're gonna have like a cool guy who's using references from the nineties. Um, I thought the squash match was good. You know, I thought they in a mission looked better than they have been. A little more entertaining squash. That second rope big splash by Mabel onto Dwayne Gill was Dwayne Gill Barry no Barry Hardy took it. My goodness. <laughs> I mean, it just look 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 crazy. Yeah, it looked like a. It didn't, I mean, I, I'm sure it was fine, but you know, not as not as like smooth like a blanket like uh, <laughs> Kamala did to me. You know, but uh, but it it just it just looked good, and the crowd reacted big to that. Of course, you know, you can see guy almost 500 pounds get the second rope. You're gonna you're gonna it's gonna make some people pay attention and, and react. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, then the Royal Rumble segment with uh, Todd um, Yoko versus Taker is now a casket match, which is funny because you know Cornette was basically 
calling the BS of of why this match was going to be a casket match, or you know, why why does Undertaker kind of get the you know get the upper hand in the negotiations? And Vince is like, well, you guys didn't read the fine print, and it made me wonder, like, why does the babyface got to get the fine you know got to get something under the, under the yeah, fine yeah. print? Uh, but you know, and the other thing was, why does uh, why is it Taker's match? And 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 to to an extent, it gives. The reason is, is that Taker doesn't have to take a pinfall mm-hmm. uh, to lose. So uh, a little bit of like a interesting, interesting reason to put the match together. But I think it, you know, it's it overall makes sense. But just, you know, if you wanted to nitpick at it, you totally could. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Definitely. Uh, Razor against IRS is another match uh, for the Royal Rumble. And um, they mentioned Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Mabel, HPK, Diesel, Crush, Kamala, Doink. And Scotty Steiner are going to be in the Rumble. Uh, there is a Ludwig Borga interview before Borga versus Tatanka, which is a rematch from that one match. Uh, was it on Superstars that they had before Survivor Series? Uh, yeah, as a Superstars, yeah, definitely. Or, or like, like, like what, like three, two weeks before Survivor Series? Because yeah, two or three it, weeks. Because it, they- it caused Tatanka to get pulled yeah. from that match, and then he gets replaced by the Undertaker. Yeah, and then Luger takes out Pierre, and everyone's taking out people from the from the matches for Survivor Series, which I, which I thought was a nice little twist on that, uh, or built nice little build up to that Survivor Series match. And then HBK makes a reference about Shannon Doherty getting kicked off of Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two. Remember that he's he's he's. I mean, he. I give him credit. He he had all the, you know, he he had all the pop culture stuff ready. Well, he was him. he was off for a while, so maybe he got some stuff. <laughs> he was. Um. So the the funny thing about this match is, Vince is just out and out rooting for Tatanka here. He is like, you know, just just rooting so hard for this guy to win the match. Um, obviously, what's going to happen here is Fuji and Yoko come out. And Fuji hits uh, Tatanka with the flag, but behind the referee's back. And then Yoko just goes into the ring to cause the DQ. So it made me wonder, like, why did not Why did Fuji have to hide the, the, the flag shot from yeah. the ref if they were just going to, you know, go to the DQ anyways? Yeah, that was silly. But the match was good. I thought the match was really good. Um, I think Borga's kind of underappreciated. Like, you know, like he... He's not that bad. I think I think a lot of people, you know, he's always like, oh, one of the worst wrestlers and people kind of like always like dog him. But, you know, in this match here, I thought he did a really good job and, and they had a really fun match. I was, I was really into it. He was in position for everything. He fed really well. Um, his feet work is great. I thought his intensity was great. Um, and Tatanka, I thought was on fire. Tatanka looked like Tatanka from early in the year, I thought. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So that, that was good to see. And um, I love the stuff with uh, with him and Yoko. I was you want to watch that match you know i want to see mm-hmm. yoko and tatanka i think they could have had a hell of a a title match on, on a raw you know i don't know if a headline a pay-per-view now but like you know i think it'll be a nice raw main event and um you know luger coming out and luger getting the big slam on yoko and made me want to yeah. see this you know the hip toss you think hip toss it was a hip toss it was a nice it was a nice body <laughs> slam and um and i you know big reaction to the crowd and it made me want to see this tag match for a few years. I know. I, I was so excited. I was like, oh, maybe it's going to be on Raw, the last Raw that we get to watch. And then I was so disappointed when I wonder, it wasn't. I mean, I have to look at the results, you know, but I wonder if this was like 
a, ta- a, a tag match loop or something like that, or maybe in a few cities. Cause I, you know, I definitely see that being a main event somewhere on, you know, on their house show circuit. But uh, yeah, no, I really want to see that match. And I really wanted to see a Tonka versus Yokozuna singles match too. I thought they, I think they would have had a really good match. So captain Lou Albano is back and, and just kind of shows his face for a few seconds. Um, Adam Baum against Mark Thomas. I want Mark Thomas to be the WWE champion right now. Why? Like he's gas. Or what? He's so jacked. Uh, I was just watching him and uh, some old indie stuff actually recently. Yeah, he wasn't looking that good there, but uh, yeah, also has a stupid gimmick called the Gondor, and it just doesn't really fit him. But uh, this was, uh, you know, Adam Bomb doing Adam Bomb things. You know, the same same stuff, same moves. Um, yeah, here's, Bom- where they, here's where the announcing got silly though. So Vince is dissing Mark Thomas by basically calling him Barney because he's got purple tights. Mm-hmm. And then, or he's basically saying he's a fan of Barney. And then they talked about scalping Barney tickets, and HBK was saying that people were scalping Barney tickets or something, and it just turned into this weird conversation that if you didn't know what they were talking about, you would just think, like, you know, what a non-sequitur for, for this match, but it was yeah. really just odd. Yeah, you can tell Vince is not into Adam Bomb. <laughs> he just, like, <laughs> not really put him over that strong, you know, in this match, or kind of just... I mean, I still love that head crusher finish, though. The uh, power bomb. Well, so he did the he did the um, he grabbed the the head the claw, and then I think he did he did he do like a choke slam off the claw, and that then was crushed, he, wasn't it? No, that was in this match. Um, he does the claw. I think he does a choke slam off the claw, and then he holds the claw, and then he um, he sits him up, and then he does the squash with the two hands to the head. That's crushed. That you watch. We watched two shows together. You're, you're blending. Crush did that lot. The next show. Oh, let me see. Let me see what my notes say. Okay, Adam <laughs> Smasher. Yeah, the power bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Well, she had a unique power bomb too, which that's one thing that I liked about Adam, Adam Bomb. Like it wasn't like head between the legs, you know, the standard power bomb. It was like you know to the shoulder and up and down, straight down. It was like a really safe power bomb compared to like. Um, you know, Vicious had a safe power bomb. Even Diesel had a safe power bomb, but like, you know, nothing like head dropping. It was just, just a, it was a nice little up and down, straight down. Like you take your own bump. It's it's pretty nice. Like I could take that power bomb. Yeah, it was uh, it was crushed against Mike Moraldo in the next yeah the next yep, match. Yep, future Sterling. Yep. Um, okay, so the first vignette for Thurman Sparky Plug who actually did car racing. So that's kind of a cool gimmick for him. Um, he was actually doing his promo at a race with racing going on in the background. Yep, yep. Uh, I remember being like, okay, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> not really excited for Thurman Sparky Plug. Why? Because I did not like that name at all. I'm so glad mm-hmm. they dropped that fast. Well, then he becomes uh, Spark Plug, right? He just, he, they just call him Spark Plug Holly, Bob Spark Plug Holly. Uh, okay, so Bret Hart does an interview, which is based off of the previous interview where Owen wants a match with him, and Bret says that he's not going to face his brother. He's, you know, Bret was really good at interviews like this, uh, where he just, you know, so honest and just like thoughtful and emotional, just can never fight his brother, never going to have a match against his brother. Uh, and so then Owen has a match with Mike Bell. He basically does a Bret Hart match mm-hmm. for the whole match, wins with the sharpshooter, uh, but, you know, just 
very much like Brett. And uh, they're doing that angle, which, you know, in in 94 is, you know, one of the best things in in the entire year. So they are building towards that, which starts with the tag team match in uh, Royal Rumble, which we'll talk about in the next uh, the the, the 27th show. They talk about it. Um, So Paul Bear promo Hmm. uh, where Vince is arguing that um, it's it's a fair match because Jim Cornette agreed to it, so it's it's not an unfair match. The head the head shrinkers versus Phil Apollo and J- I think he said Jerry Seedy. I couldn't get the last name of the of the yeah second something guy. like that. I couldn't. I didn't really have his uh, name on the on the on the the lower third, but it's, uh, yeah, they didn't have that. Quick, quick quicker squash match. They're not. Uh, leaving guys for dead, making us think that they really killed these guys. But no, uh, and that body slam that Samu did, <laughs> shit. <laughs> like I don't know uh, what happened there. He just like basically just threw him right on the side. I was like, holy cow, man. There's a Donald Trump and Marla Maples wedding reference in this match. Jeez, wow. Uh, I know. And, I heard that too. I was like, my goodness. <laughs> We're in 1993. <laughs> yep. Um, and so Vince teases. In a Lundra Blaze versus Heidi Lee Morgan match next week, but he just says highlights. He doesn't say that they're going to show the full match, and mm-hmm. it just left me wondering, like, this is for your women's championship, and you're only going to show highlights? Like, I wonder, I was like, just thinking, like, where did they tape it? Like, I wonder why they couldn't show the match. Did the match suck? Um, yeah, and, I figured so, the match was bad, and they just did the high spots. So... We'll see. Uh, I mean, not not that we'll see, but you know, we'll we'll talk about it in in uh, the twenty seventh sh- show, uh, and then they also tease uh, Marty Jannetty versus Johnny Polo. So the next show is December twenty seventh. Jacques and Pierre, the Quebecers, are with Vince. Though Pierre does not speak English the entire episode, and at some point he gets kicked out of the of the booth. So it's just Jacques and Vince, and Jacques is just trying to trying to do one liners the whole the whole night. Um, so uh, Lex Luger against uh, Barry Horowitz. Uh, pretty fun match for uh, you know we always talk about you know Barry and and how you know the the guys the way that they treat him as uh, someone who who gets some gets some offense in um, and then here's where they tell that Brett Owen versus the Quebecers at the Rumble which it doesn't really make sense unless there was a bunch of superstars in challenge stuff where they actually told the story of why this is going to be a tag match because. Owen is pissed at Brett. Owen challenges Brett. Brett says he will never fight Owen, and all of a sudden they're buddies again, and they're gonna go for the tag team titles at the Royal Rumble. Well, I, th- well, I think they did the promo on Superstars the 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 Saturday before Monday, this Raw, and then they ended up showing that same promo again during the uh, Royal Rumble. Um, update so that's why they just it just felt like it was missing a step like owen apologizing to brett and going you know what i i I don't know what i was thinking i was a little hot and you know i I really think we we you Uh know we can win the titles or something like that that part was missing for me i think they were trying to like get over like you know it wouldn't be on camera that they had a discussion like they talked about it off camera and they came together for the holidays and they talked about you know being you know squashing all this this nonsense and just be a family and let's go for the tag titles and i know i thought it was fine i love the promo that brett cut 
during that rumble report i thought that was so passionate like he's really oh, yeah. he's really into this obviously he's really into this program i mean he's the one that brought you know basically came up with the idea and and um really pushed for owen to be in that spot so he's he's really i mean this i mean i love this feud this feud was a lot of fun and definitely one of the highlights of 1994 so lex wins this match not with the forearm Mm -hmm. not with the torture rack but with a superplex from the middle rope yep he used to do that in wcw as well it was nice to see and I didn't, I like, I, I didn't anticipate it being the finish, but Jacques was like, "That's it." And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's it. That's 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 that's, that's the match." I was reading the sheet in front of him. Um, <laughs> I thought this match was good. This match was solid. Um, a good quality pro wrestling match, and it's like, I'm watching it. The pacing's great. Um, everything's like well done. Barry Horowitz is just one of those guys that's so technically sound um you know just one of those this is just, just a tremendous worker in his own right and never was a star of course but like just you know he does the little things in matches like you know t- you know t- checks his arm and you know really uh, registers with the pain on his arm or checks like uh, takes no you know it's just like just like little small things that you know are go unappreciated today or people don't even think about today and it's just nice to see so i really i really enjoyed this matchup Johnny Polo, in an interview, calls Vince McMoron. (laughs) And he calls Marty Jannetty Marty Confetti. Yeah. Vince calls Johnny Polo Johnny Hobo. You should have said Johnny Bozo. (laughs) I don't know. Vince Vince could be the least cool guy in the world sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those times. So, uh, Marty Jannetty and Johnny Polo's uh, long long match. Um, uh, Polo takes the front turnbuckle, though. He did not take it quite like Brett, who hits that thing pretty much at full speed. Uh, Marty gets a two count off a high cross off the top rope. And then PCO gets involved. Obviously, his his tag team is there sitting at ringside. So, you kind of figured something was going to happen to screw Marty. And uh, Johnny Polo wins with the help of PCO. And and something that's like kind of dumb is that so you know Marty knows that he got jobbed out of the mat. Like he's like they cheated. You know, can't you see that ref? And and Morella's like, oh, did they really? And so he goes to PCO, who is like sitting at the announcer table, and he's like, you, you're out of here. Like, what does that actually do? Oh, you cannot broadcast anymore, and you weren't even speaking English anyways? So he throws him out after the match is over, after he cheats, and after he gets his manager win. I thought that whole thing was dumb. Well, I think the idea was that, you know, as remember they always talk about with Macho Man and even Bobby, like if you get involved, you're going to get suspended or fined or something like that, right? So I think since Pierre was the only one that left the booth and went and, you know, interfered or just left the booth and got involved in the match. I think that's why Joey Morella kicked him out. I did like the fact, I was wondering, like, man, if I was Mark Jay, I'd go out of that ring and try to, try to, you know, beat one of those guys up. And then, like, I was nice to see him. Like, they didn't act, make him look like a stupid bay face, and he was able to go out there and confront the Quebecers and stuff. I thought this match was really good. I like this match a lot. Um, Johnny, what do you think of Johnny Polo as the, you know, the manager who kind of works part-time and then beats one of the regulars? Well, they cheated, though. I mean, it was, hand, yeah. you know, it was the interference with the holding the ropes on a, on a reversal of a sunset flip with Pierre holding Johnny uh, well, I mean, Polo's but, hand. But it, it was a very competitive match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was nice to see 
Johnny Polo or Scott, you know, Scotty, Scotty Flamingo, uh, you know, Scott, Scott Levy show his stuff in the WWF ring. Cause you know, like he was doing the magic thing, which was always like confusing to me when mm-hmm. he showed up. Cause I knew, I knew he was good from, I mean, stuff from global and then Scotty into, the body, Sky the body. And then, um, Scotty Flamingo, which I thought he never got a fair shake in WCW. Once he had that Flamingo name, I thought it was, it was bad news for him, but you know, he they did put the lightweight title on him. I mean, he just, I think, I think he could have been, um, he could have been a Roddy Piper type, you know, I mean, that's what they saw in him. Like he's going to be a Roddy Piper, but then they never and the polo gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. They gave him a, a, a lame gimmick and that, you know, he did more managing. He did wrestling. So, um, no, but he's always been really talented and, and, uh, that, you know, he got to show it here and it was a really good match, a fast paced match. And so if I was digging this raw, man, we had a good, two good matches in a row. And then the uh, same commercial that we'd seen previously with Yoko Claus waking up from a bad nightmare. And the only thing that I realized is that Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji sleep in the same room. Yeah, I would say they're they're next to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Doink and Dink versus Spike Gray. I didn't understand. Was this a handicap match? Was Dink just supposed to be in the corner? I think Dink immediately interferes in this match. And Spike runs over to him, and Dink hits him, and then Doink hits a back suplex with a bridge, and the match is over. Yeah, I got nothing for this. This is just, you know, just Doink being ridiculous and Dink being annoying, and, and you know, people got to chuckle. It's basically a midget match with, like, two full grown men, you know, and, and one midget, and he's just running around, and he pokes the eye of Spike. What's his name? Spike gray spike, spike gray. gray with you know right in the middle right in front of the referee but whatever i think it's the first time we've seen spike gray yeah 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 i've never, I've never seen him before and then um and then uh, he gets dropped on his head and then a big German suplex with the bridge at least it was quick and short and it was over with so the royal rumble report which we just talked about the Hart brothers are all good again they do the promo that uh that Great says promo. that they're gonna win the tag team titles um, so next week, in a kind of a weird match, the Smoking Guns versus Bam Bam Bigelow and Bastion Booger on the same team. Yeah, that was a bummer. I mean, it was cool to see Bigelow there and said, Bastion Booger. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. I know, uh, I know. And then the the uh, Mike Moraldo and Crush, the one that I was jumped out ahead of, um, just because I liked the uh, the finisher here with the head crusher, uh, which you know he f- started with the claw, then he does then he does the squeezing of the head, which I always thought was pretty cool. Um, but uh, you know, you you it's cool when you beat jobbers this way. You, I mean, you can't really beat top guys this way, but uh, always always liked it when when you know he t- he was able to take out the enhancement guys with this kind of move. It would have been nice if he would just would have adopted that as a finisher, just just a straight up claw into the choke slam. Would have been a nice instead of the. I'm not a big fan of the head squeeze. I, just, I always I didn't like him as a baby face when he did it. Um, but then he, of course he does drop it, and now he and he ends up doing the uh, the heart punch, and then he. I like it is because that really hurts. Have you ever like had no? I know. <laughs> like, I do. I just that really hurts. You know, it was just like of all the other fi- of all the other finishers in pro wrestling, it just didn't seem that as like exciting to me, especially for a baby face. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for his um, character crush, it does make sense. Right. So the next segment is uh, Taker building his casket, and this is the exact moment that your dad walks in on you watching wrestling with uh, Paul Bearer kind of going nuts and the Undertaker. This is the exact moment where I want to hit this 15 second speed up or whatever the hell it is. Like, I'm just like, 
I just, I mean, even me, I did not like Paul Bearer. You know, you know, it was embarrassing. My dad would walk in. Of course, he'd always walk in during Undertaker Paul Bearer promos. Um, I was just, I just, I just even, I just never, I never, I hated these promos. I hate, I liked the Undertaker. I just hated these these interview segments with them. Yeah, it was, it was. Uh, he, he can be a very one dimensional character mm-hmm. at times. Uh, okay, so the. Um, there's an interesting, uh, you know, Brett, the ultimate baby face, does a don't drink and jive promo. And Jacques coming out of the, the video just like shakes his hand as if like he disagrees or something. I thought that was kind of weird. I know he's shaking his hand because it's Brett, but mm-hmm. it just seemed kind of weird to, to disagree about the don't drink and drive. And thing. the best part is like Vince is, uh, he's going to what, uh, uh, send it to the uh, highlights of the women's championship finals. Yeah. But then there's like shock just showing off his tag team titles. <laughs> it just, it just pretty, that was pretty funny. I thought that was the best thing he did on the show. I thought he was pretty yeah. entertaining there. That was, that was definitely funny. Um, so, Alundra Blaze does like a promo before this highlight video. Actually, they both do. But Alundra mispronounces her own name. Yep. She calls herself Alunda Blaze. Mm-hmm. How, how, how did they just not have her do it? Maybe again? they spelled it wrong because she's obviously reading from the card. She's doing this promo. You notice that too? She's like looking down and or you can tell she's just reading the promo on the, someone's holding the her so in card. the observer i can't i don't remember if it's the observer before this week or this exact week big dave spells it alondra so it's a l o n uh, but well, yeah you know dave's known for a typo <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i mean it, it could be what he thought it was yeah yeah you know. or it could be something they started off with and they changed it too which yeah. they've done many times so uh, the, you see the big raw banner in the background, mm-hmm. which leads to your point about maybe it's not that good and they didn't want to show the whole thing. But it was a and different not, show, though. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the same, the same one. Um, and I don't remember Heidi Lee Morgan. I don't remember ever seeing her on WWE TV before then. But they didn't, they didn't have very much women's wrestling at that time. Mm-hmm. So no, there's not, there's not that much women wrestling. I mean, there was stuff that they could have got people from the LPWA, which I think highly Morgan was. She's like one of those most common women you see on the like results for women's wrestling in um, in the '90s and the '80s and '90s. You know, her, Linda Dallas, Missy Blue Sims. Um, you know, um, Susan who Sexton. Been, who would have been the last champion? Would that have been like Rock and Robin? Rock or and Robin was, yeah, yeah. And she, wow, she all but retired at that point. So and that um, was like WrestleMania five or something. I think it is highly Morgan to you. Just like she should have been like like you know like on a, like just like a trailer park. You <laughs> so she's like <laughs> the way her promo was and her hair was all like teased out, crazy eighty style. Um, it was uh, it was her her promo. At least her promo was better than Alundra Blaze. I tell you that right now. Um, she wasn't looking like she was, didn't look like she was reading no cue cards. Um, but well, yeah. knowing knowing what we knew about Medusa Michelli and then medusa's run as part of the dangerous alliance in wcw like she comes in with a wacky outfit though like the her credentials are that you know she's a real fighter like that's literally where her credentials are which is actually pretty cool but just you know the wacky outfit the wacky name you know over kind of overdoing i know vince wants to own the name so totally totally understandable but as medusa like that was like the perfect name for her it's like they signed her 
and they and they're like okay let's, well, they want to sign her but they didn't know what to do let's 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 build a division around her but there was no division to build around they did but they did a good job of getting like nick bull nakano in and stuff like that but they just kind of fizzled out i think it only lasted what a year if i remember yeah. correctly yeah. like it's just you know they could have definitely i mean the japanese girls probably wouldn't matter much back then um you know let's just have a character like like someone that looked like stood out like a bull nakano so but yeah it's not that much not much, not much talent at the time in the 90s unfortunately there was well, at least they have uh yeah luna vachon there yeah true and then our last match of raw for 1993 razor ramon against Derek domino which I'm 100% sure is a take on the blues band that Eric Clapton performed in called Derek and the Dominoes. Hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that's where he got the name. Um, Razor's doing the thing where he's just kind of bullying the guy, you know, lots of abdominal stretches and kind of slapping him in the head and stuff. And then he hits the uh, that back suplex from the middle uh, or the top rope, I guess. He's sitting on the top rope and, and Razor hits him with that back suplex. And then the Razor's Edge to win the match and to end our journey with Monday Night Raw in 1993. Yeah, Derek Domino, he he had some fire in this match, huh? Came out, he was uh he's going fast. He's going <laughs> he's going a little fast with his arm ringers and stuff, but he came out, he threw a great punch. And Derek Domino, I remember him from the Indies in the Northeast area. Um I think he wrestled the tag team. They did like a like a you know <laughs> like a like a dark tag team you know that'd be perfect AEW right now they need more um the misfits i believe he was from mm-hmm. like in the jersey area i know he worked for dennis carluzzo's uh nwa and stuff like that so i remember i remember him and he came out he threw a great left hand punch boom and then uh, scott uh, uh razor ramon just beat the beat the hell out of him and like showed off everything in his arsenal in this match right yeah like he had six minutes or whatever it was and he's like all right i'm gonna do the fallaway slam off the second rope <laughs> I'm going to do my back suplex on the second rope. Oh, then I'm going to finish you off my razor's edge. Like, he just, like, showed off everything he had. It was this. Razor, classic razor stuff. Actually, I forgot the short little segment before this, which was Quang is coming. Oh, did it, uh, can I, okay, like, can I talk about Quang for a little bit here? Yeah. So, Quang, we all know, ends up being Savio Vega, right? Mm-hmm. I remember seeing him like, oh my god, that guy! I I thought it was Great Buddha for a second, right? Mm-hmm. And then remember, because you know that he was a he he showed up at the Rumble and had the mask on. Do you remember this? I don't. I would have to go back and watch. So that I show. think he might have took the spot of Kamala because they announced Kamala in this Rumble and Kamala doesn't yeah. in the Rumble. Yeah. So I wonder if he took Kamala's place. And now comes Quang, which is like just generic mask, and and he looked fat. And I'm like who's this guy <laughs> i was not into it at all and i was just totally let down but i will say when they turned to savio vega i wasn't a fan, savio fan either but like i couldn't believe how over that guy got just by being associated with razor ramon getting a rub from him like he he got over pretty big so the same 10 second video that we saw Dave in the Observer says Quang the Ninja, though he spells it Q U A N G. Mm-hmm. 
who may be the Tasmaniac, though I'm not certain of that. So he was just looking at the clip and going, like, who looks like that guy? And he thought it was going to be Taz. President knows it was TNT from Puerto Rico. So Asaga Vega, of course, ended up being. But, uh, yeah, Taz, that would be interesting. I know Taz did some stuff for them on the East Coast house show circuit. But uh, he looked bigger than Taz for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I just remember being, like, excited. And then I finally saw him. I was like, oh. But I, just, I also couldn't believe his run as Savio Vega either. I just can't believe how over he got. The crowd was super hot for him. Mm-hmm. There's a match on a house show. Him versus Goldust from like right before WrestleMania of that year. What was that? Uh, 96, I want to talk about. Watch. Dude, if you can find that match, you Master Garden's going ape shit for Savio Vega versus gold does dude like the crowd is nuts it's a really really good match i used to have it on tape <laughs> austin always talks about those matches with him yeah 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 i mean he was a good worker honestly i mean i appreciate him later on but i remember just being disappointed like this this is how bad wrestling is this is how we grew up with these, these muscle guys these huge jacked up dudes and here comes like mm-hmm. a guy that's like heavier set and i'm like ah this guy's gonna suck <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know but that's so that's it we're done with our 93 raws and and uh, a little bit of a bittersweet uh for me because i really enjoyed doing this but we're gonna move on and do something different in 2020 and like i said i think i think i'll try to keep up and you know as much as i can and just have stuff going on in the background uh with this show because i'm interested in seeing some of that stuff again with uh you know with brett and and owen and then uh luger you know kind of getting shoved out of the way a little bit in in uh in in march so I, uh, yeah it'll be it, i love the bob Backlund turn in age 94 i love crazy bob Backlund. i thought that was, a, was just a just a hoot man as he was probably say like it was, uh, it was so much fun as ricky morton would say and then also love brett's run as the um the champion because he remember he would defend like he was always on tv wrestling and he did a match with uh what one two three kid which is you know really good on in july of in 94 i remember that match and i was i'm looking forward to going back watching that match again because i remember being really really good about that that really good match all right so that's it for here we will be back next week um it'll probably be what uh it's probably what the second i i would i would think uh january 2nd there is an xt show this week but it's already taped right after smackdown it was so that's interesting yeah, and then they're going to do like awards and stuff too. So I don't imagine it's going to be a big deal. But I, you know, I'll still check it out. Yeah, I'm but I, you it. know, we don't, not something that we'll probably gonna have to cover because uh, it's you know it's not going to be live stuff. So, um, so yeah, we'll be back uh, January second. And there, you know, they're going to go head to head, and uh, AEW has their their big show that uh, they're doing from Jacksonville, which is kind of going to be their thing. And uh, maybe the Young Bucks will come out of retirement on twitter by that time <laughs> wacky um but uh, but yeah so uh so we will uh, we'll be back but you know happy holidays to everybody and, and like i said friday thursday or friday before the weekend i'll have the uh the last solo episode that we did of, of we want flair which i thought was our best one and that'll kind of like that that show really laid the groundwork of how i want to do the show in 2020 so uh, so yeah so for john i'm double g we'll see you when we see you peace out